Let me ask you a question. How many of you have already started out this Christmas season watching Christmas movies? Raise your hand if you've already started watching Christmas movies. Guilty. We have too. What's, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Elf. Elf? What? Rudolph. That's my man right there, Rudolph. <laughs> Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation. Charlie Brown Christmas. Home Alone. The Grinch. Hannah, you get the award today, The Grinch. Um, I think that story was, uh, it's been on several times. Matter of fact, it was on last night. Uh, two nights ago, it was on TV. And so um, I was going to make a statement about being based on Mr. Stowe's life, but that's not true. He's not a Grinch. He's not a Grinch. This, uh, this story, he was standing at the back. I, couldn't let, I was, I was going to let it go, but I, I just couldn't. So Dr. Seuss's Christmas classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, is the story of how a mean old Grinch devised a failed plan to try to halt the most wonderful time of the year. That was his whole goal. He was going to go to Whoville, and he was going to destroy their whole idea of Christmas. Christmas is not going to happen this year. Well, just as the Grinch couldn't stop Christmas from coming, as you remember from the movie, neither could Herod. We just saw King Herod today. He tried to, we're going to see that he tried to stop Christmas. Couldn't do it. While the Grinch's heart, now remember the story with me, if you will, on Christmas Day, he had been changed. He had been transformed. What happened to his heart? It grew three times that day. Herod's heart remained hard. Herod's heart did not grow. He did not allow the fact that the Christ child, the Messiah who had been promised for so long, he did not allow him to change his heart. Now, the Grinch is a very fictitious character, but Herod has been proven even historically. I mean, it's history has proven what a horrible, horrible man Herod was. We'll see that here in just a few moments. If you've never heard this story before, um, it's, it's a horrible story, some of the things that King Herod did. And so we're going to open that up today. So go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read through a good portion of this just throughout the sermon today. And I want to talk about Herod for a moment. Christian did a great job uh, portraying Herod and just, you know, kind of snarky, evil man that he was, uh, had a lot of expectations and um, probably didn't uh, treat those well within his own kingdom. Uh, I'll show you some points of that here in just a few moments. But Herod came, let me give you a little bit of his history. He came from a line of rulers. That was typically how uh, kingdoms worked back in that day. If, you, dad, if your dad was a ruler, you would be a ruler. Those type of things would happen. Well, now Herod's father was killed uh, by poisoning. That was just the rule of the day. If you were a ruler, then you could pretty much bank on the fact that you had a good chance of dying. Not all rulers died, were murdered, were poisoned, all these things, but it was a good chance. Well, Herod's dad was killed of poisoning, and Herod became governor of Galilee. So the story that we just saw, he was king. So how did he get from being king when he was a governor after his dad died? Well, Herod began to rise to power with the Romans as he aligned himself with the Romans. In other words, he knew, hey, if I please the Romans, they're going to promote me. Things are going to go well with me and my kingdom. So he was basically their puppet as he uh, was kind of the go-between uh, with, the, with the Romans and with the Jewish people. So Herod uh, pleased the Romans so much that in 40 BC, they appointed him king of the Jews. Now that sentence, that statement sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? We know that Jesus had that labeled on his cross whenever he was crucified. But the Romans appointed Herod king of the Jews in 40 BC. 
Um, he ruled uh, until Jesus was born. We'll get to that story here in just a few moments. But he could never truly rule the people of Israel in his lifetime because Herod did not come through the line of David. Now, we know that the Messiah to rule God's people was going to come through the line of King David. Uh, you read about that, I believe it's in Matthew, uh, that, that talks about the line of, of how Christ came to us. Herod was not in that. And he could never truly be the ruler of the people. He could never truly be the king of the Jewish people. Um, but Herod, so what he was, he was very harsh. He needed to remain in control. Do you know this kind of people? They just have to be in control. Uh, they will do whatever it takes to remain in control. They don't care who they step on. They don't care who they put down. They just have to remain in control. That was Herod. He had to be in control. Listen to what he did. He killed his favorite wife. I said favorite wife. In these days, to expand your kingdom, you would marry uh, different areas just to expand your kingdom. That was part of how they uh, expanded their kingdom. This was his favorite wife, and he had her killed. His sons, he had some of his sons killed because he thought, these guys are going to come along, and they're going to take my kingdom. This guy, I mean, he, he was doing whatever he could to hold on to this kingdom that ultimately wasn't his anyway. He was a very brutal, brutal man. He wanted to keep his throne. Now, when Herod wasn't killing people to maintain his throne, he was actively expanding his kingdom. And not everything that Herod did was bad. For example, when there was a famine that came, he made sure his people were fed. He rebuilt... Um, the great temple that was in Jerusalem, so that, you know, at least he did that. So there's a couple of good things that Herod did. But overall, he would do anything to not give up his throne. He wanted to remain in control. And that's why we're going to see as the story unfolds how just horrific some of the things that Herod did actually was. So I had you turn to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 6. So you can just follow along as I read here. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. That's why the wise men came. They wanted to come worship Jesus. Underline that little phrase if you have your Bible open, because we're going to have this contrast here. The wise men came to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed. I want you to underline that. He was deeply disturbed, or you can highlight it in your pixels if you have your phone open or whatever that you're using today. When he heard of this, as was everyone in Jerusalem, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So here we have the opening statement of the, the wise men who came and Herod's reaction uh, uh, to this particular story that we're talking about today. Now what the wise men were telling Herod, something that he was aware of, is that a long-awaited prophecy was coming true. We just read in verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now, this is a quote. Matthew is quoting, these wise men are quoting something that had happened hundreds of years earlier. 
It is very important to understand and recognize biblical prophecy because Jesus fulfilled many, 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 many prophecies that were written in the Old Testament. The odds of any one person fulfilling all of these prophecies that came to pass are just crazy numbers. Just absolutely, not one person could fulfill all of these things. But here is a prophecy that says, out of you, Bethlehem, will come the Messiah. So it's being quoted right here. We see the, the proof of that as Jesus came. So here we have a prophecy that is threatening Herod. The prophecy was coming to pass. A star announced his birth. And wise men were following this star. So you can see why Herod was getting to the place. He wanted to hold on to his kingdom, and he sees it slipping away. There's a threat that has come in the form of a baby. But he felt threatened because I believe he understood biblical prophecy. And who knew? he knew this was going to happen, but he was going to try everything he could to make this not happen. Now, these wise men heard about the Messiah even though they lived far, far away. They lived very far away. And so, um, as was depicted in the skit here, you see that they had traveled uh, so far. Now, back in these days, we know that there was no Twitter. There was no Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. None of, that thing, none of those forms of communication were around. Uh, Fox News, CNN, NBC, ABC, all the C's that are out there, they weren't around either. So word could not spread quickly. So the question that I had, the question that you may have had, is how is it that men that lived so far away knew about a story that happened 600 years ago? So from the time that the prophecy was mentioned, 600 years later, now is coming to pass. How in the world did they know this? They lived so far away. Let me, I got an answer for you. So I was doing a little bit of research here and a little bit of study. Years earlier, the people of Israel had been carried away captive to Babylon. Do you remember that story where Israel was taken away to Babylon? They were in captivity. And there arose a man from the people who was very wise, and his name was Daniel. Do you remember Daniel? He and his friends were called to interpret dreams for the, 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 the ruler at that time. And so... Daniel and his friends, because they um, interpreted these dreams and they came to pass, they had years to show that it had happened, Daniel was, I guess you'd say, kind of like a living legend. So people talked about Daniel. Well, these wise men came from that line of wise men. Daniel and his friends kind of were the beginning of all of that. So these wise men had heard the story of Daniel. And what did Daniel do? He talked about his God. And so, although Daniel gave all these prophecies about dreams, I'm sorry, interpretations of these dreams, they were like, yeah, that one guy, Daniel, he knew God. God spoke to him. And so, over 600 years, the legend of Daniel and his God had been told. And so, now we have these wise men who had heard the story of Daniel, had followed all of this. They knew, even though they lived so far away, because Daniel took the message of his God to the distant land where God had called him. What does that speak to us today? Wherever God sends you, take the message of the gospel. It bore fruit 600 years later in the form of the Messiah and people coming to know him. That's powerful, isn't it? What a truth. These wise men were aware of the coming Messiah because of this story and because of the prophecies that they had read. They followed the stars now, when I talk about following the stars, we know that there's uh, mythical 
archaeology, uh, astrology that's out there that is really driven demonically. We understand that. Um, but we also understand this. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. It's His creation. So God had set a star in the east, and these wise men knew to follow that because this was a brand new thing. They had studied this out throughout history. They had, they had been studying this, and they knew when this star appeared, they had to follow it. God was speaking to his people. He was finding ways to speak to his people. Within these first six verses of Matthew, we see two different responses to the birth of Jesus, and I had you underline those. The wise men came to worship, and Herod and the people of Jerusalem were deeply disturbed. I want to ask us today, which camp do we fall into when we hear about Jesus? We know many people in the world, when they hear about Jesus, maybe they become deeply disturbed. May we be people who worship him, just like the wise men. So let's look here. First of all, Herod was deeply disturbed. He was troubled by the news of this newborn king. You see, Herod's jealousy, as we saw in this skit today, it led him to try to get information about this king. He told them, well, won't you guys come back here after you find him, because we want to worship him as well. Verse 7, you're already in Matthew 2, verse 7, it says, Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. There's all kinds of deceit in there. He doesn't care about worshiping him. He's wanting to find out where he is. He has plans that um, he's wanting to carry out. So notice the worshipful wise men, and then we'll get back to Herod. So let's look at the wise men for a moment. Point two, the Gentile wise men were ready to worship this newborn king. See, they weren't even, quote, the people of God. They weren't Israelites. They weren't the people of God. They were Gentiles, but they had come because they heard of this newborn king. I love the verse in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. We have a promise that when we look for Jesus, we will find him. I want, to, I want you to think for a moment before you were saved and when Jesus revealed himself to you. I bet there was a little bit of searching that was going on, wasn't there? A little bit of searching, what's going on, what's this all about? But you were searching wholeheartedly and you found Jesus. Why is that? Because you were searching and God rewards those who diligently seek him. These wise men were on a very long journey to find Jesus, but they pressed on even though the journey was long. I want to encourage you in that today. Some of you are on a long journey, and you're believers, but your journey has gotten long. You're tired, kind of wore out. You're wondering if you're ever going to get to the destination that God has intended. What did these wise men do? They kept going. They pressed on. But along the way, what happened? They got words of hope. You know, sometimes you just need a word of hope. You need a word from the Lord. You need to be encouraged. Press on. The thing that you are facing today does not determine who Jesus is. Press on. What's more important? The thing that you are facing or Jesus? Which is bigger? The thing that you are facing or Jesus? These wise men pressed on to find Jesus. They understood, if I look for him wholeheartedly, I will find the Messiah. Your long journey in life can be discouraging at times, but don't ever stop pursuing Jesus. 
in your most difficult of moments, don't stop worshiping. As a matter of fact, in those moments, press into worship. Amen? Let's keep going with verse 9 here. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these are the gifts that they gave uh, to Jesus when these wise men uh, had come um, to, to visit the Messiah when, when they finally arrived there. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus was probably closer to two years old when the wise men finally found him, just so that you know, you're aware of that. It was probably about two years old uh, when they arrived. And I don't want to ruin your nativity set. So I know you have the wise men there at your nativity set. When you go home, what you should do is, you, if you have your nativity set right here, put the wise men over here because they're still on a journey, Okay. No, you can keep them together. Just It's all part of the story. They worshipped him with gifts. They worshipped him with gold, you read there. Gold would sustain the family when they went to Egypt to escape Herod. We'll see that in just a moment. They had to flee because Herod was about to do some pretty crazy things. And so an angel told them, you know, go, go to Egypt because I'm going to keep you protected. They also brought frankincense. Now, frankincense was a type of incense that was burned in the worship of God. They recognized that this was the Christ, or there was something that was there that they recognized for them to bring incense. And then they also brought myrrh. Now, this is probably one of the more interesting things that they brought because myrrh in this particular time was used in preparation, and it was a balm for burial. Take that to your two-year-old birthday party that you're going to next time and see how well it's received. <laughs> Who would do that? Well, they understood something here, or prophetically it was there, and they just felt they needed to bring it. But that would signify the death that Jesus would die to take away the sins of the world. That was his purpose, I should say, in coming, was to take away the sins of the world. We assume by this that there are three wise men we don't know that either. Just, just to kind of throw that out, we don't know that there were three wise men. Today we had two wise men and Chad. <laughs> we don't know how many... He loved that first service. He thought, it was, he thought it was great. But anyway, we don't know how many wise men there were specifically. Again, not to ruin your nativity set. The point is, like these wise men, they came bearing all these gifts miles and miles and miles. You know what? They didn't lay a gift down just because the journey was long. Man, that preaches right there too. Don't neglect your gifts even though the journey is long. Your gift was given to you by God. And because the journey gets long and difficult, you better not lay that thing down. Don't lay that gift down. That's a gift from God. Keep pursuing Him. That's that whole squirrel thing that Mr. Stowe just said. You know, you go off on tangents at times, and that's why he gave me this present. But, man, pursue that gift that God has given you. Offer yourself completely to Jesus, and that's what these wise men did. They offered themselves. Verse 12 says, When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream 
not to return to Herod. God changed the plan there because he knew what was about to happen. He knew that Herod was very serious about trying to find Jesus and to destroy him. Remember, Herod's hanging on to this kingdom with all that he's got. So God was aware of Herod's anger and he prepared Joseph to protect his family. Let's pick up the story in verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt, while the child and his mother, uh, with the child and his mother, the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, and, who was his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled another prophecy. So here's another prophecy that's fulfilled, okay? Uh, that he had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Now, this had to maybe cause some people to scratch their heads back in this day because they're thinking, well, he was in Bethlehem. No, wait, now he's in Egypt. Oh, he's from Nazareth. We see that Jesus was from all of these places. Why is that? Because God sent him to different places really to protect him. Whenever you read about Egypt in the Bible, as it relates to God's people, Egypt represents bondage. Because for the people of Israel, uh, the bondage, they, they were slaves to Egypt. Well, now Jesus had gone down to Egypt to be protected, but when he came back, as God called him out of Egypt, he was bringing his son back because he was leading us spiritually out of bondage. You know, sin holds us captive. You feel like you just can't, man, there's just, you're always up against a wall. You're always up against a wall, and there's something that's there. Not all the time, but sometimes it's sin that's preventing us because it's holding us back. We're held bondage to that sin, and you know who frees us from that? Jesus. By obeying his word, by doing what his word said, he sets us free. Are you sick of that wall always being there? Ask God to examine your heart. It may not be sin, but it could be. Just throwing that out there. So here's another Old Testament prophecy. If you're taking notes, this one comes from Hosea 11, chapter 11, verse 1. This also tied into God's faithfulness to the people of Israel from Egypt, as we just talked about, where Moses led the people out of a physical bondage. Jesus was leading the people out of a spiritual bondage and sin. Point number four, Herod continued his rage, all right? So let's, let's keep going and see his rage here in verse 16. And this is, this is horrible. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Wow. He was threatened by babies. Well, there's a reason for that. We'll see that here in just a moment. Um... And this was based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Uh, verse 17, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Yet another prophecy that's being fulfilled uh, at this moment. Uh, and by the way, if you're taking notes, Jeremiah 31.15 is this particular prophecy. Uh, and it says, sounds very similar, A cry is heard in Ramah, deep anguish and bitter weeping. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for her children are gone. Prophecy is being fulfilled here left and right. 
hundreds of years earlier, surrounding the events of not just the Messiah, but surrounding the events of the Messiah as well. So not only do we have a person who is coming into line who is Jesus, we have events in history that are being prophesied about and lining up as well. We do see this parallel to the story of Pharaoh having the babies killed in Egypt hundreds of years earlier because he was fearful of their growth and blessing from God. Taking notes again, Exodus 1 and 2 tells this story. See, the Israelite, they were growing. Even though they were, in, uh, they were slaves, um, Pharaoh said something. He says, we're going to make their workload a lot harder. That way they'll stop having kids. But the Bible tells us when their workload grew harder and more difficult, they increased even more. See, God was blessing them. Pharaoh wanted to wipe them out, but they were continuing to grow. Well, yeah, he was, wanting, he was being cautious. So as they continued to grow, then Pharaoh issued the order to the midwives. Now, the midwives who were, were the ones who would come, and when the Israelite women were having babies, they would be there to help deliver the baby. So Pharaoh told them, all right, midwives, when you go there, if it is a male, male child, go ahead and kill it. But the midwives feared God, the Bible says, so they didn't do it. And they continued uh, to grow. So again, it sounds very familiar. Where Pharaoh wanted to have all the babies killed, um, so did Herod. But just as God provided a way for Moses to escape, he provided a way for Jesus to escape a madman. How did um, Moses escape? We remember his mom took him, put him in the basket, put him in the river, and he floated down. Where did he float down to? Pharaoh's place. Pharaoh's daughter brought him up you know, out of the water, and who became the nursing mother to Moses? Moses' own mother. How does that happen? I think God had something to do with it. But just as he rescued Moses, who would later come and lead the people out of Israel, God was protecting Jesus too. And he says, out of Egypt, go to, go to Egypt. I'm going to bring the people. I'm going to deliver them from their sins. Those stories, it's amazing how similar they are. One was bondage physically, the other was bondage spiritually. And of course, that was Jesus who came to set us free there. In the midst of unspeakable crime, God provided hope both times. I, I don't want to begin to imagine what these mothers and dads were facing. It affected the whole community. You knew someone who lost a baby. If it wasn't you, you knew someone. But in the midst of this, God provided hope both times. Jeremiah 31, 16. But now this is what the Lord says. Do not weep any longer, for I will reward you, says the Lord. Your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children will come again to their own land. Now this was prophecy what had happened years earlier, but also was foretelling what would happen with all the children that were killed currently at this particular time. God was saying, I'm going to restore. There is going to be a restoration that will happen um, at this time. In the midst of extreme sorrow and loss, the Messiah was bringing hope to the entire world. We face some loss in here. In this room, we have faced loss. Whether it be a relative, whether it be a job, whether it be hope, whether it be, I don't know. But we've lost. And Jesus brings hope to the world. It's a hard message to hear when you're in the middle of it, but it's the truth. What God was showing through this scripture, he wasn't being insensitive to these mothers. 
He wasn't being insensitive. You know, I know you just lost your kid, but you know, it's going to be good. It wasn't being insensitive like that. God was showing that there was a big picture that was at work in the middle of this whole horrible mess that was happening. And that was that redemption is coming. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Thank God for that promise of hope. Herod would eventually die a horrible, horrible death and lose the kingdom that he tried so hard to hold on to. Scripture doesn't give us specific details of of his death, but some of the early church writers, if you go back and study this out a little bit, they describe his condition at death. Here's some of the things that they say. His entrails, or his intestines, just all that, were ulcerated. He had a foul discharge. He had convulsions. There was a stench that surrounded him. Horrible. And that he had gangrene in areas that we won't talk about in church. That's pretty bad. He was suffering horribly. See, even though he had this plan, and even though he was so evil, God was paying him, repaying him for his horribleness. I mean, just, God, how can you let something like this happen? Well, God had it taken care of. Something so hard he tried to hold on to. And with a slow and with a painful death, probably not a lot of people surrounding him with the stench. Within these texts, there are two kings that are specifically mentioned. King Herod and King Jesus. One was granted a title by the Romans. The other was born a king. See, Herod was given a title that would not last, but Jesus was born. And the Bible says he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And we even know later at the cross that death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Jesus escaped death on a few occasions, didn't he? Even reading through the New Testament, the the religious leaders, they were going to kill him, but Jesus slipped through their midst. The plan of God was not going to be overthrown. Let's contrast these two kings. King Herod was selfish and self-indulgent. King Jesus was self-denying and self-sacrificing. King Herod was yielding to Satan. He was following Satan's plan. King Jesus was about vanquishing Satan. That's a great storyline. King Herod was a destroyer of people. King Jesus was the savior of people. Total opposite ends of the spectrum. I love this last one. King Herod was cruel even to little ones, but King Jesus was kind especially to the little ones. Who is the kingdom of heaven granted to? You know, the little one. If you have faith like a little child, you must come into the kingdom of heaven with the faith of a little child. I loved having our toddlers in here, both services today to start out with. You know, they're, they're up here, they're having fun, they're, they're banging on their drums and you know, dancing around and kind of doing what they're supposed to. <laughs> you just never know with kids, do you? But I love what they're being taught by some of you. You know, they have teachers back there today. Some of you teach our little kids. Man, they're teaching about who Jesus is. And at this early age, they're learning faith in the Son of God. 
and the fact that he truly came at their, at their young age, right? But Jesus says, come to me like one of these little kids. Next week, I expect us all to come in here with homemade drums banging on them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Alice is going to be like, no, I'm leading worship, and I don't know what beat to follow. <laughs> but may we be that free in our worship of Jesus. And by free, I mean willing to lay it all out for him. God, I worship you. Throughout the week, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. In just a moment, we're going to light the Advent candle that we have. We do this every year. I love this. It's a tradition that we do here uh, at Abundant Life. And and I love this because it represents something new every week, um, or something different every week, I should say. Uh, Last week, we talked about hope. This week, we see that King Herod eventually lost all that he thought he controlled. King Jesus was, is, and always will be in control of all. And Jesus will come again one day. That's something that we're assured of. You know, I hear people say, well, you can only be sure of two things in life, death and taxes. Well, yeah, those, you can be sure of those two things too, but Jesus is coming again. And Jesus will come again one day. No, we cannot stop Christmas from coming, nor can we stop Christ from coming back, coming back again at his second advent. Therefore, we want to approach Jesus the Jesus that we hear about at Christmas, the Jesus that we know who died upon the cross, the Jesus who is the newborn king of the Jews, the same way that the wise men did. They chose to do so on that first encounter. They gave all. Their resources, themselves, their time. May we worship him and bow down before him and offer him gifts worthy of the king of kings. How can we give him less than all that we are when we come before him? When I come in this house, I want to give Jesus all that I am. I don't, you know, I know we face stuff today. We all face stuff. But God, may I never give you less than 100% of me. Is it going to happen? Sure, it's going to happen. But I want my goal and my aim to be that, God, I'm going to give you 100% of me. So that your kingdom and that your gospel goes around the world. As we learned earlier with the Gideon's ministry, we can't all go all around the world. But there are people who do. Lord, may we, here in Mooresville, North Carolina, where you have placed us, take your gospel. You know what? God has it covered in other areas. He has Christians who are going to take the gospel there. Some of you may have opportunity to go to Jamaica next year with us. Take the gospel. Some of you, uh, Dean's back with the kids now, will go to Niger to take the gospel to Niger. We're working on something with Ireland. We're going to have maybe three opportunities next year for travel with missions work. We get to take the gospel wherever we go. Where are you headed tomorrow? Where are you headed this afternoon? Pray for your waitress if you go out to eat. Gifts worthy of the King of Kings. This is the preparation candle. Some call it the candle of peace. Whereas last week we reflected on the hope of the coming Messiah, today we've seen that God was preparing the way for the Messiah to come to God's people to bring peace. This was a time of turmoil. And this nation was mourning a great loss. 
but Jesus was bringing peace. My question, how will you approach Jesus? Like Herod or like the wise men? I want to challenge us today. Let's approach him with hearts that are full of worship. Amen. Amen.